0: Have you lost your mind? Everything that we do, they go and take it. Their culture, vultures. I don't agree that. You know I
1: can, I can, I can bring as many girls as I want to. You know, it's not like really. We're, we're letting come, these right.
0: people come and do To what
1: country? Each and every single It's not for a
0: woman, If you want controversial, conscious, and thought-provoking conversation, you've come to the right place. You're listening to Taboo Talk.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, you're tuned into another episode of To Be Talk with myself, the Teeth Ace. Yeah, you probably thought you were going to hear that again. And I had a few people asking when the episodes were going to come back. And um, I probably owe you people an explanation. So, basically, when I started To Be Talk, I was in uni. And I had free studio time. And when I graduated, there was no more studio. Um, Yeah, so we're going to be consistent this time around. Today I brought a very, very controversial topic, and taboo talk is all about controversy. And what's more controversial than the year 2020? Today's topic is on the hostile environment, and I brought a very good friend of mine, Stephen, who's a barrister, and he specialises in this. um, And just listen.
0: Nice. Welcome back, Latif. Thank you. Yeah. So um, yeah, as I um, as Latif said, me and him are very good friends. I've known him for probably 10 years now. Um, Basically, my background is I'm a barrister. Um, I do a number of areas, um, a lot of different work. Um, A lot of my practice is um, immigration and asylum law. I do a lot of civil work, some employment law stuff. But in terms of the hostile environment, that engages my immigration and asylum law practice. Um, and, And basically, as we all know, I mean, anyone who pays attention to what's going on right now. The hostile environment's crazy so i mean
1: what's what's, what is a hostile environment that's that's, that's a very good and how did that term term come along
0: i mean i mean we can go back 50 or 60 years if you're talking about the genesis of the hostile environment i think what i'll do is just talking about in sort of modern day terms what the hostile environment is is basically um, government policy in my view about making the life of immigrants in this country as difficult as possible that's just you know putting it in its most simplest form it's just about how do you make the life of migrants in this country difficult so that other people don't want to come here and so that migrants who are here want to leave and um, that's it in its very simplest form and basically um, you can say from about 2011 2012 that's when it really came into force um, what, what
1: coincides with that time so
0: so we're talking, so 2010, you have um, the Conservative coalition government coming into government, That was the Conservatives and the Lib Dems. And essentially what happened is they sensed a lot of anti-immigrant, if you want, um, well, there was an anti-immigrant mood in the country, but that's always been there. You know, what I mean, it's not as if that's new, but essentially what they sensed was they could um, sort of gain political capital from that. And so the Conservatives, Um, sort of push this idea of making the hostile environment if you want much more apparent in terms of law and policy as i said it's always been there but what happened in 2012 is they put it onto a sort of what i would call a statutory footing so So kind of
1: a manifesto agenda
0: exactly so everything was there for everyone to see and um theresa may essentially said you know you know, we're introducing the hostile environment. Um, you know, she um, brought in a number of sort of changes in terms of um, the legal framework for immigration law in this country. And it just took off. You had vans with, you know, sort of, you know, you know, warning people that if they were in this country illegally, they had to leave. You know, deportation. So, when you talk about
1: vans, how did this work? So, so vans. Explain so, this this scenario.
0: So, so there was this weird thing that happened. I think it was around 2013, 2014, where they had these vans that were going around what you would perhaps um, term as sort of communities that had a very strong sort of ethnic minority. Um, sort of um, base or you know there were a lot of people from different you know backgrounds who lived there and basically what they would do is they would send vans with sort of big messages plastered over the vans sort of telling people that they had to leave this country sort of scaring people is that that, from the government yeah yeah that was from the government That's what the government was doing. Our government with taxpayer money were going around communities essentially scaring migrants to go home. Um, And that became very normal. I mean, you pick up the Daily Mail, you pick up any of these big newspapers and what you saw was the government essentially trying to whip up anti-immigrant sentiment. And it was terrible for people who came to this country and were earning a living. You know, many people in that sort of situation were doing very important jobs and they were being hounded, you know, that's the sort of... So essentially,
1: so essentially this was a sort of anti-immigrant propaganda.
0: You can call it that. Um, some might even say um, it was the government engaging in, you know, because look, We'll get into this deeper, but a lot of it has racial undertones as well. Right. Um, and so some people might even say, this is the government engaging in racism. I mean, we'll get into it. But in my view, you can put it as you said, there's a lot of things behind this.
1: I mean, there's there's been a lot of talk right? and there's been a lot of, a lot of um, racial divide, you could say, in this day and age. And, I mean, just going on to Facebook myself, and, you know, I've, I've seen stuff from, from people who I consider friends, colleagues, you know, teammates, and you can see that there's beginning, a, a racial divide is becoming more apparent, you know. This, people normally, when people talk about racism in Britain, it normally seems to be a passive aggressive one, right? And as, uh, you know, as a, as a black person, or this term that I hate, BAME, or POC, right? You, you can sense these microaggressions, but now it's it's coming to the forefront of things. And would you say that Britain is institutionally racist?
0: What I would say is, all you have to do is look at how, um, you know, relations today, or, you know, even looking back 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, look at relations between this government and black people and you can make your own mind up, right? If if I, for instance, take a very recent, um, if you want, situation, the Windrush um, scandal, people mm-hmm. call it a scandal. I think it's more than a scandal. But if you take that, for instance, there was a report that was released. Um, it's called the Wendy Williams Windrush Lessons Review. And Wendy Williams came very close to essentially saying, institutional racism at the Home Office. She didn't put it in those terms but if you read the report in its totality um, and you look at the summary she came very close pretty much to saying that was the case Um, and it's very important that she made that point because actually you know not only the Home Office you look at the way in which um, you know uh, many police forces in this country the Crown Prosecution Service many government institutions if you look at the way in which they relate to um, black and brown communities in this country um, I'm sorry I mean I'm not sorry I mean people will come to a certain view racism um, institutional racism and it's a big problem
1: why do you think that some people struggle to empathize?
0: Well, um, I think um, one of the big issues is, um, you know, people sometimes give excuses. Maybe you know, you know, I grew up in a certain community, so I never really met. Um, a lot of black people, and so, you know, in terms of my relations with black people, I didn't have the chance to understand where they're coming from in their culture. People say that sort of thing. But actually, I don't think that's an excuse. I think um, it's not hard to be a decent person. That's not a hard thing to ask for, right? And I think one of the issues is this, and we're seeing it come to the fore, quite simply, people are ignorant and they've been brought up to think in a certain way and society generally supports that line of thinking which is look just by way of me being this skin color you know I have you know certain um, you know privileges or I should be able to do certain things I should be able to say what I want and do what I want that's that's just the way certain people have been brought up I think what you're seeing Um, um, you know, with all of these protests going on at the moment, Black Lives Matter is you're seeing a lot of people from different backgrounds, white, brown, black, um, all on the streets. I think what's happening is there are certain people who are taking steps to educate themselves, people who want to learn, people who aren't so quick to dismiss what I say I'm going through um, who are taking those active steps and I encourage that I think people need to read more learn more and there's no excuse Latif I mean um, all you have to do is go into any bookstore any waterstones or Wh Smith But I don't know if Wh Smith's still around at the moment but go into any mm-hmm. bookstore and you will and you know you'll find books you can get you know on these topics
1: yeah I mean it's crazy I, I watched um was it? Is it um, uh, something on BBC One the other day? What was it called? Um, I can't recall the name.
0: On BBC One. Yeah. Oh, um, um, um. This week it was yeah. about um, um, the gentleman who was essentially being hounded by the government to, send right. to um to deport him back to Jamaica. Yeah,
1: and they tried to deport him twice. When I remember the name, I'll go back to it. But essentially, so, so if you could. Could you elaborate on the process? So let's say if you were someone who came to the UK, maybe 10 years old with your parents, what are the routes for gaining, I don't know, your British citizenship?
0: Right. So um, just perhaps um, dealing with the first thing you t- um, you spoke about. Um, so so um, it's called sitting in limbo. Right. That's what yeah. it's called. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I mean, just perhaps on that, that was so important that that came on tv i mean it was so timely and what you saw was exactly what, what what you're now asking me about but what you saw was how people who've been in this country for pretty much their whole life all of a sudden being told you're not from here okay prove how you came here you know prove how long you've been here what have you been
1: doing it's quite intrusive isn't it, it it's,
0: it's 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 very intrusive and yeah. what's what's sad is You know, it was quite um, revealing when you saw many of the people who were essentially trying to put him to proof. Tell us how you came here. You know, all of that sort of jazz. You know, he was older than them. You know, he'd Mm. been here longer than them. You know, he was, you know, he would say as British as them, if not more. Mm. But essentially, this is the problem. So getting on to what you asked me, this is the problem. People come to this country with all sorts of circumstances, different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. So the person in sitting in limbo, um, his story is he came to this country as a young man or as a young boy, sorry, with his mum. He must have been, you know, at best, let's say eight, nine years old. So he came here as a kid mm-hmm. and he would have gone to primary school, then secondary school. Um, he would have finished secondary school, maybe gone on to college or got a job or what have you. And he would have lived a life that many people in this country live, very mm-hmm. normal. Mm-hmm. Um, he got a home and, um, you know, everything else. Right. Um, and then all of a sudden, um, what happens? He gets a letter through the door um, and, you know, he has to go and start reporting at a reporting centre. Um, and the problem is this um, and it's a problem that many people from you know or people caught up in the Windrush scandal will tell you about essentially many of them came here as you know what you might call british subjects so you know this is why colonialism and immigration are so bound up because in many ways you know post post um, post world war ii you had, you know, and even before that, I should say, you had people from the Commonwealth, or what we now call the Commonwealth. So your Jamaicas, your Nigerias, your Ghanas, your Indians coming to this country because they were British subjects. And they had the right to do that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he came here with his mum because he had the right to do that. He came here on his mum's passport. Mm-hmm. I think that was his case. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think he ever had a passport. Or um or he doesn't need to have a passport in any event. Mm-hmm. But His issue was this The evidence that he needed To show that he came to this country Guess what happened Guess who destroyed it The government Landing cards that people who came On you know um, You know Empire You know sorry um, um, Windrush or whatever Ships to this country They came with landing cards That was with the government I forgot what year it's in The government destroyed all of those landing cards And what was their reason? Well look Anyone dealing with the Home Office knows they don't even need to have a reason because they just do stupid things. What (laughs) tends to happen is, it's it's crazy. What tends to happen is, is you might have a situation whereby, um, you know, after a number of decades or whatever, they just decide to get rid of things and they don't even look at the significance of what they're getting rid of, right? And so that's, you see, that's another part of, if you want, just institutional incompetence even. Just not realizing that, wait, wow, these might be very important documents. Should we really be getting rid of these? But they did. And then all of a sudden, many people in the position, um I think his name is Anthony. Is it—is—is is it Anthony? Um Well, anyways, many people in the position of the guy that was in sitting in limbo found themselves in was, they had no evidence of when and how they came here.
1: Would you say it's incompetence or was it part of a bigger plan? Was this, could you argue that this, so you say, rush scandal was, was you know it's something that was clearly thought through and part of the people plan
0: what i would say because um i i i read the windy um so so the wendy williams Windrush lessons learn review um, mm-hmm. i've read it um if you want religiously mm-hmm. and what i would say is this um whether or not it's planned you know People will form their own view on that. I I right. think even if it wasn't planned, just the way in which it happened tells you a lot about this country, because this is the reason why I say, even if it wasn't planned, it's just as bad.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: This country never, ever thought about people who came from, you know, whether it's Jamaica or wherever in the Caribbean, mm-hmm. came to this country and, and and ultimately had been living here for their whole lives, they never ever gave one thought about how the hostile environment could affect them. They never, and, and there's a reason for that, because they don't think about people from our communities. You know, we're never in the front of their minds. And that's the problem. That's, that's the biggest problem, actually, is that in actual fact, you know, are we ever at the front of their minds? Do they ever consider our circumstances and where we've come from? No. And so that tells me everything i need to know about how the british government perceives my if you want place in society in this country i'm at the back of their mind
1: i mean if you were somebody on i don't know you know i I know some of the people who um were part of this window scandal because they had committed crimes at some point Mm. during their time in the uk Mm. they kind of said well yeah well you've committed a crime so we don't want you in our society and it, it just makes me think, you know, if that was someone who was born here or, or someone of a different heritage, someone of a, a Caucasian heritage, you know, you do your crime, they'll say you're doing your crime, you've done your time, and then you go, you, you're you re-institutionalised. Why is that same, you know, that same, you know, trail of thought not, not put onto someone who's from a different, you know, I mean, they, they said that they accidentally deported these people but because they've done crimes um, so at some point in their life, whether it's they're 15 or they were, they were 20, or even if it's two years ago, and they've done their time, they get shipped off.
0: Lateef, this is probably one of the things I'm most passionate about when it comes to the hostile environment. Um, and it's one of the biggest issues I have with the immigration system in this country. You have this situation where people who've come to this country as kids and who for whatever reason find themselves on the wrong side of the law in their teenage years like many people in this country do um, all of a sudden are being sent to a country where they may not have even been for 10, 15, 20 years. They may not have any sort of family that um, they you know in contact with in that country and the question is why does that happen um and and actually what this is is there's a big history behind it Mm -hmm. and the history is um it's as if this country believes that somehow committing crime is alien to british culture right because as soon as you commit crime you have to go back to where you're from (laughs) i mean how how crazy is that (laughs) i mean i mean look if 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 People in this country think that committing crime is alien to British culture. I'd love to introduce them to, you know, the centuries of British colonialism, you know, an empire when they went, you know, to our continent Africa and raped and killed people in the name of building this empire, um, as they call it. And This is the bigger problem I have with it. You know, I went to Ghana very recently and I bumped into a friend that I hadn't seen for years. Me and him had gone to primary school together. We played for the same Sunday league football team. But then I just fell out of contact with him. But for all intents and purposes, he grew up in this country. He got into trouble. I'm not sure exactly what. Um, He spent some time in prison. As soon as he finished um, his sentence, um, he was deported to Ghana. And... It, it was so sad listening to him as we spoke in Ghana because he said all he knows was Britain, right? Wow. All he knows is Britain. And then they've just taken everything from him and sent him to somewhere where he hadn't been for so long. Why are they doing that? Look, this is where the charge of institutional racism comes in. Mm. Because, because to be quite simple, you know, someone would say, I mean, it's, it's, it's double punishment, why, why am I being you know, First and foremost sent to prison And then I'm being Deported And the thing which even gets to me the most Is If this person has gone to school here And grown up here They are a product of this country Okay If they've gone to prison in this country And they've grown up here The question should be What happened? How has the system failed them? But instead, what the government wants to do is wash their hands of them and send them to a different country. It's a lack of responsibility.
1: Wow. And that's crazy. I mean, let's let's, let's put a different scenario into play. Yeah. So let's think about, okay, someone who hasn't done a crime. So let's think of the, I don't know so people who start on a clean slate so someone in a similar environment uh, um circumstances to your friend mm. right so he's come here since they're they were young and um they're eight and nine years old and they have to go through an application process mm. to to be nationalized you say mm. so how, how does that go What what are the roots
0: well so i mean um it's a very um if you want you know the immigration system in this country is extremely complicated. Um, I mean, um, it's one of the problems. Actually, that's 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 how the hostile environment is sort of. Um, You know perpetuated essentially They make it so difficult for people to understand How to actually stay in this country And so what happens is all of a sudden You find yourself in a position where You have to instruct a lawyer Thousands of pounds you need to pay for that But basically um, you know Someone comes to this country as a kid And they may have come you know with their parent um, You know their parent may be on a visa or whatever Um, But the thing is this Latif That the ways in which people can stay in this country constantly change okay Okay. so there's never a sort of route that people can take from let's say 10-15 years back and they say okay um this is the one route. i'm I'm, I'm going down. I mean, routes do exist. So for instance, mm-hmm. you have, you know, I've heard of the 10 year, yeah, route. 10 year private life. Route. Maybe you've been in this country for 10 years um, on a lawful basis. And okay. then basically, I think it's about every two and a half years, you need to renew your leave to remain here. And if you're here for 10 years, you're then, um, if you want, um, eligible for indefinite leave to remain. Okay, There's let's, stuff let's, like that.
1: Let's, let's, st- let's take a step back on that. So yeah. let's talk about the 10 years. So the 10 years. So, If you are not on that route, you're not eligible to work, is that right?
0: well so i mean again there's different routes i mean if you're not on, on any sort of route then if, you basically if you're not on any route mm-hmm. if you're in this country or you're not on any routes so let's mm-hmm. just say and i don't like to use the word illegal mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. i say undocumented because right. when you use the word illegal it's as if it's somehow got, got you're negative, a criminal yeah, e- exactly there's connota- a criminal yeah, you know yeah. there's a negative connotation there yeah, right yeah. so you're undocumented mm-hmm. Ex- if you're undocumented You won't have the right to work In this country Essentially They're going to be saying You should be going back To wherever you're coming from You know That sort of um, Unfortunate statement But the important thing is this Can I just make a point on that If someone's undocumented In this country Right And they have No right to work How are they going to Represent themselves In court Okay Because ultimately And we all know it Talk to anybody Who's involved in this area They will tell you you need good legal advice. Mm. If you're not working, how can you get good legal advice? Okay. And so this is how the hostile environment works. It drives people on the ground. OK, so I'm undocumented. Oh, I don't want to be caught by the authorities. Um, you know, I might just get a job where I don't need, you know, maybe need to satisfy certain documentary requirements. Nobody will know about me. But then that means they're dealing with some of the worst people who are, you know, working in, you know, all sorts of circumstances. And they're prone to being taken advantage of because of ultimately there's no safety net for them and and that's the problem that undocumented migrants in this country face and they're driven underground that's crazy that's
1: very crazy crazy. it's it's, very crazy but let's let's go back to this 10 year route again because it's quite interesting to me so you said that you have to renew it every two is it two and a half years yeah so
0: it's either two and a half years yeah it's two and a half years somewhere between two and a half years and three years, I think, mm. yeah. Mm. But basically, you will renew it about three or four times.
1: And yeah. what... How do you get to this place? So, how do you... I mean, so, obviously, that comes at a cost. Do you, it, do you know how roughly roughly the cost is? It comes at I, I a cost. I heard about the NHS and I oh, want to pick up on that.
0: I, I mean, we can go on a very very it it could be a whole different podcast talking about the cost i'm telling you because when i think about the cost of immigration applications it scares me it's you know what people who come to this country and have to pay application fees are heroes i don't know how they're able to save that sort of money and still look after themselves and their families and do what all normal people like to do have a social life
1: i mean i I found out the other day that is is it there's a NHS cost on the, on top of the application hmm. so that's a separate cost and yeah, I and I, immigration I, health search yeah, yeah. yeah. so I, I I went to do a bit of research on that myself yeah and um, I seen that it was 400 pound for a year alright so, and, and I thought back I was like okay well these people they, they pay taxes they pay taxes yep so they're paying for the just like how you mentioned that they get the double punishment so basically they get they pay for the NHS twice. So they pay for the NHS through their taxes, just like any sort of lawful citizen would do for your job. Actually, right. Then they pay £400 a year for the NHS, regardless of how often they use it or whatever. It's just a a mandatory part of their application. yeah. Now, so you pay for that and let's say if you renew two and a half, every two and a half um, years, that means you're paying £1,000 for the NHS on top of what you're already paying for through your taxes.
0: Yes, and this is on top of the application fee. Wow. The application fee goes into the thousands, okay? And that's just for one individual applicant, not mentioning any children you may have. So yes, the health care charge is the craziest thing ever invented. But that's how the government works. It's been going on for a very long time. They're making migrants essentially suffer to be in this country.
1: And it's like, so it's crazy because let's say, you know, if someone's... a a migrant who's come for a better life you're Mm. probably doing a a minimum minimum pay job right so you probably maybe if you're lucky you're getting 10 pounds an hour you've got your bills to pay your rent to pay and you're expected to be a lawful citizen now for someone who is literally living from 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 paycheck to paycheck right all that all that money is getting spent everywhere how do you expect that person to raise two thousand, three thousand, however thousands of pounds it is for an application, it it doesn't mm. add up. The math doesn't add up. Mm. So then, it, I feel like, are you are you trying to get someone to get into debt? by taking loans mm. or do something illegal. Mm. I mean, it seems like the system is is rigged. It's a web, right? It, yeah. it, it, it's mm. rigged mm. For, to, to make you very inconvenient. Cycle it is, of decline, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, you see, even just because what you said there, there's a lot in there and I mean, even unpacking it. So, let's just take first and foremost the fact that there's so many people in this country who've come from somewhere else, migrants, who are doing very important jobs in this country but because of the way in which we perceive those jobs in this country and we allow, you know, employers to sort of take advantage of employees. Those jobs are very, if you want, in my opinion, underpaid. Um, And, um, you know, the way in which the immigration system works in this country is they have these very crude terms like low skilled and high skilled, right? What's low skilled? You know, maybe someone who's doing a cleaning job. But what have we seen during this whole coronavirus pandemic Latif yeah, most, <laughs> most needed people the most essential the, workers they As, are and now essential workers
1: key workers essential yeah, key workers. workers essential workers it's crazy can you imagine
0: so basically being a low skilled migrant means you are a key worker that's what it means you're the most important person we need to get you know to keep For this country running yeah. can you imagine and they're underpaid and they're subjected to some of the most crazy provisions in our immigration system and the issue I have with the immigration health surcharge is this. So we saw during the coronavirus pandemic um, the government was pushing through a new immigration bill through Parliament and essentially they were going to impose a higher health surcharge on everyone. Wow. And there was, I know, and then um um that's actually got through. But what they... Oh, thought, so it is... there is Yes, there's a higher charge now. But what happened is there was a major pushback uh, in terms of that applying to people who even work in the nhs because as you know what people sometimes forget is many of the people doing important jobs in the nhs are migrants so can you imagine you just spoke about a sort of double taxation imagine that would also apply to people who are even working in the nhs so essentially i give you my time and my labor
1: And I'm still having to pay this health... My my life. You're putting your life at risk, especially working during this pandemic. You're putting your life at risk.
0: And basically... Uh So can you imagine? I'm paying my taxes, as you said. Mm -hmm. Okay? I'm not having to pay this immigration health surcharge. And yet I'm even working for you, my life, my time, my effort, and still I'm doing this. This is how crude the system is. And sometimes we need to call it out for what it is. It's cruel. It's just simply cruel.
1: And then when you you've gone through this, let's say 10 year route. Mm. I mean, I've heard that this 10 year route, it, 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 it entails like loads of invasive, intrusive questions. You know, um, you know, you, you have to send like bank statements. So your bank statements, so all your spendings, out outgoings, everything you do, what you get paid, you have to get a letter from your employer. So your employer has to know what you're doing, um, that you're applying for stuff. Mm. You know, and that could lead to, to prejudice even in the workplace.
0: I've had clients Latif who and we're all like this. I'm mm. I'm a sort of person I don't like to have to, you know, um constantly burden myself upon people and say, oh, can I get this? Can I get that? Can I get a letter from you? It's sometimes it's like, okay, I'm asking too much. Mm -hmm. But that's expected of migrants in this country. And so they constantly need to get their employers to, you know, write letters of support or to confirm they're doing this and all of that jazz. And you're right, it's a very intrusive system because essentially you need to lay everything on the table. And that's, again, um, just going back to how the hostile environment works is this sort of burden you dare not sort of make a mistake by not having a particular document or maybe not being able to get a particular letter from your employer that could be the end of your application all of a sudden application refused and they're very listen i've had cases latif where for instance maybe um you know um, um the applicant in question um has ticked the wrong box you know, wow. a very administrative minor administrative error, or maybe for instance, they've provided a passport photo that isn't the exact size the Home Office want. Application refused, and that puts you into the overstayer bracket, or wow. after a number of days overstayer bracket, and all of a sudden you're what they call legal, what I call undocumented. But like, it's a terrible system. Um, and so yeah. So even
1: from a from a minor errors such as ticking the wrong box
0: you see the thing is what should happen is that um, home office should exercise their discretion there's a minor error there's no reason why you can't get the person to sort of rectify it but in many cases they don't and so it just leads to you all of a sudden um, you know becoming someone without um, a lawful basis to remain in this country Um, and really what I want to stress is if this country wants to continue holding itself out to be a sort of liberal rights respecting country you can't continue treating people like this it's it's inhumane it's unfair Um, and and you know so many people know this Um, it's unfortunate that it it still persists
1: Wow do you know every time you speak I'm just lost for words because
0: it's 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 a lot right it's a lot it's
1: (laughs) it's It's more than a hostile environment. I think hostile is an understatement. I think hostile is a very strong word in itself. Guess what they call it now? What's that?
0: The compliant environment.
1: What's that supposed to mean? uh,
0: I mean, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, Sajid Javid, so so he was the (laughs) next Home Secretary after Theresa May and then he wanted to change it. After the Winross scandal came to light, they Mm -hmm. thought, you know what, let's try and find a new name for this, you know, compliant environment. And, you know, Just on the whole politics of this, because this is important as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Because politics is important, right? The hostile environment in terms of that term, I think from what I've heard, it was first found in policy during, um, I think it was at some time during the Labour government, around 2007, 2000, in terms of when it was first found in documents, the words hostile environment. Mm -hmm. And this is the problem I have, Latif, right? Black and brown people in this country politically, in my view, um, find it very difficult to sort of know where their home is, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you're being very honest, I tell people this, right? Um, if you look at some of the worst immigration legislation that came through or that's come through Parliament in um, in the last 50 or 60 years, they were drawing Labour governments. Can you imagine? You know, s- sometimes you had, you know, you know, some of the worst provisions... Labour Prime Ministers. And the reason why I find that so important... So,
1: is so let's, let's get this straight. So yeah. to cut you off. Perfect. So, some of the worst immigration policies are not even from this government.
0: Latif, there are people who would say that essentially the hostile environment as it is, is a continuation of what the Labour government from 97, 1997 to 2010 were doing. There are people who would say that. And, um, I mean, I would go as far as to say this. Um when it comes to politics and migration and race people need to be very sort of critical of what political parties say in the open and what they do in the dark that's what i'd say because you know you Look, sometimes you always hear it, oh, you know, the Labour Party has to appeal to its traditional working class. What does that even mean, traditional um, working class? Let's be honest, it means (laughs) white people, right? That's what it means, it means white working class. Oh, that's
1: what they say, that that, uh, Corbyn was so unpopular.
0: Look, I would say it flat out. If you're looking, you know, in the past 20 or 30 years where migrants in this country can say, you know what, I know this particular um political movement stands for me it would be the corbyn years let's just be frank about it but i don't want to sort of fetish any particular leader what i want to ask is why is it that political parties in this country at some point always fall back on sort of anti-migrant rhetoric or sort of want to appease people who don't want migrants to be in this country and want them to have a very difficult time here why is that
1: it's, 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 it's a question everyone needs to ask themselves
0: It's it's very important And actually um, I think You know we've seen it in recent times With the Black Lives Matter movement In this country and in the US People are asking questions Of our leaders in this country That maybe in the past Haven't been asked as loudly And so people have to account You know I'm sorry, I've looked at certain, um, you know, immigration acts that have gone through parliament. And when I've seen certain people's name who voted it in, I'm like, whoa, you know, this is serious. And all of a sudden you're out here.
1: By certain people's name, what what, what are you in?
0: I mean, certain members of parliament who, you know, it appears at the moment they're standing in solidarity with migrants and the black community. But why did you wave that legislation through? And this is the thing, I don't want to sort of hold a stick against anybody sort of supporting the movement because it's important. But this is my issue. Why do people always just cater to anti-migrant rhetoric and sort of always want to appease certain people in this country, you know, for the sake of politics? It's, 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 it's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. But, um, yeah, I mean, look, we, I can rant a lot about the system. Mm-hmm. If it comes to ranting, we can sit here and rant for hours and hours. I think what people want to know is, I mean, what needs to happen now? Um, I mean Perhaps it's best If I speak from my experience I go to court
1: Yeah Yeah Talk Talk more about Your your, your day to day When you're You're representing Yeah People
0: I mean I mean on a day to day um, If I am doing Immigration Or asylum work What tends to happen is I'll turn up at court At 10 o'clock Or actually I shouldn't even turn At court I'm up at court At 10 o'clock Because that's when The hearing starts But I'll turn up Early enough To have a word With my clients Um, And essentially what I'm doing is um, Representing them So you know Maybe they've had an application that's been refused Mm -hmm. um, And they're appealing it They have a right of appeal Um, And so we go to court And essentially I'm fighting their corner I'm saying this is why um, They shouldn't be removed from this country And then you have somebody representing the Home Office That's saying no this should be removed And it's essentially an argument in court Um, And then once we You know have our sort of argument if you want, mm-hmm. um, um, a um, judge will come to a decision. Obviously, the client in question will be there to give evidence as well. But honestly, it's one of, I mean, speaking from my experience, having, you know, done it for a while now mm-hmm. and, you know, you know, having seen what clients go through, it's, it's a very difficult experience because first and foremost, I've just, you know, I turn up when they're at court Right, in a sense, that's where I come into it. When so you
1: don't know any prior information about.
0: Well, so the, as a barrister, my sort of role is okay. I'm instructed to go to court and represent the person in question. But the reason why I point out that sort of that's where I come into it, and it's lawyers in general, is the person has already gone through so much already. Okay, they've mm-hmm. been in this country. They've had to grapple with the hostile environment and. The difficulty is they then need to find money to give to lawyers. If you watch sitting in limbo, you will see how difficult that is. Mm. He was telling his family, look, how you know, how are we gonna raise money to give to lawyers? We ain't got that sort of money. The money that they wanted to use to go to Jamaica to go and see his mother, that's what they had to use to pay lawyers off. Look at what we're asking people to do, to sacrifice, you know, you know, plans they've had. All because of how hostile this environment is and, and and so basically that's where I come into it and um, honestly I don't take my position for granted because I know essentially you know in terms of you know people remaining in this country they expect me to be on their you know on my a-game so I turn up a court and I do my thing and I just hope that you know we're in front of a judge who will be sympathetic to
1: their case and what kind of judges do you, do you normally come across
0: well, I mean, um, anyone will tell you, anyone will tell you that um, the um, the judiciary in this country traditionally um, isn't as diverse as, um, as we would want it. Okay. Um, and, you know, there's constant pushes to make not only the judiciary more diverse, but also the legal profession much more generally diverse. People are pushing for it. Um, Um, And you have a lot of organizations who are doing very, very good work at trying to create or trying to open up that space. But essentially, there isn't one type of judge. Okay, You have judges from all corners of life. But the problem is this. Judges essentially have to work with the law as it is. And when that law is so unfair, um, and when that law works in a way which is often going to be um, detrimental to clients you know the le- you know the playing field isn't level okay and so you have a judge who essentially you know no matter how liberal they may be or whatever has to grapple with the unfairness inbuilt in the law mm. and 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 that's how it goes but I mean we have tools that can help so like the Human Rights Act mm. for instance right and you have um certain human rights such as um, article a that's the right to family life or the right to respect for family life and private life, and what you can do as a lawyer is, you can use these sort of, um, you know, um, you know, if you want um, tools. I call it legal tools, like like the Human Rights Act, mm-hmm. to fight your client's case. Say, look, you know, for these reasons, it would be disproportionate to move him or her to M. Um, you know. Um, their country of origin. For these reasons, maybe, for instance, they've been in this country for over ten years. Mm. They've got a partner in this country. Their children were born in this country. All, all of this it. they'd have to prove. All of this they'd have to prove. And this
1: is this is where I'll, uh, go back again about the the intrusiveness of kids they have to bring pictures, as I saw it, and sitting in limbo, you have yeah. to bring pictures. You have to start asking people questions, um, bank statements that you you you're, you're, you're not lot. a liability the whole lot Latif.
0: the whole lot and, and 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 honestly
1: um and what if you if you you know you you're out of a job you know these these things happen in life yeah sometimes yeah. you might fall out of man you might you could like in this day and age everyone's getting made redundant and, and then what happens
0: me. trust me and even in terms of the intrusiveness even when you even when i think about it i've been involved in cases where um, you know my clients have been asked questions that you never think you'll be asked about because you know we just live our lives normally right and so so you know, what sort of questions are these? so I mean they might ask so for instance um, you know uh, my client may be in a relationship with their partner and they've been in a relationship for about let's say five to seven years right and then they're going to ask you questions about you know sort of you know your living arrangements when you guys first met and all of that and questions like that even when you guys first met it sounds like okay everyone should know the intricacies of that right Mm -hmm. because it's so romantic we first met but to be quite frank, most people's lives are boring, you know? Mm. Like, you might have just met at, you know, some, you know, party or whatever, and you can't even remember whose party why it was. Should, why so should you have
1: to tell people that?
0: Because because all of a sudden, there's a culture of disbelief. They don't believe you, okay? So, so you have to prove everything. So you're
1: guilty unto proven innocent.
0: That's that's the system. That is the system. You are guilty unto proven um, innocent. So you
1: have to s- provide stuff like pictures and, and evidence of your relationship. You know what? And you have to prove it to people. This is Pro- it. Prove to me, yeah. this judge, yeah. that your relationship is real. If yeah. I don't believe your relationship is real, that's all that matters.
0: Well, this is it. You know, um, we're saying it as if as soon as you provide pictures, well, hey, you know, they think it's real. But actually they can say, well, these can be pictures of friends. I mean, what shows this is a relationship beyond friendship? So you have
1: to almost play it. So, so let's say you had to go to court with your other half then would you have to kind of overemphasize your emotions towards each other
0: you see this is it this is the thing the way the system works makes people think as if i have to do the most right, right. because it's like okay unless i do the most they're not going to believe it but then what happens when you do that is okay you might over exaggerate it a bit and all of a sudden you might over exaggerate it in a way that your partner doesn't and so there might be an inconsistency there. Okay. But we're human beings, you feel mm. me? So it makes sense. You feel as if, okay, you know what? I need to do the most so that they believe it. But then as soon as you do, it's, it's, a, it's a fine line. I would hate to have to be someone giving evidence in court, um, asking for them not to send me um, back to my country of origin, Ghana, because I will do the most. hmm I'll be saying all sorts of stuff in there, <laughs> uh, like I'll be talking about all sorts of relationships I have with people in this country, yeah, of and, and and it will be like, okay, you might put something in there and you might exaggerate it, but that's because you're desperate. You feel me? And that's mm. how the
1: system works. It makes people
0: do desperate things.
1: I mean, I've, I've even heard that there's there, there are tricky questions in in the application forms, like, um, what family you have back home
0: you see
1: that's a very for, for me I, I, I saw I saw that on someone's application I thought hmm mm. this this looks like this this this. you know you look into it and you read into it and what, what does this mean and if you were not granted stay in this country which country would you choose to go and it's got a list of all the countries in the world and why <laughs> would you say that I mean I'm 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 paying all this money yeah. right so let's say I'm paying how many grands to stay in this country trust me but I've slaved for, mm. who knows, God knows what I've done to get this money put to put it together, right? Yeah. And you're asking me if I don't get this, if this application is somehow unsuccessful, what other country would I go to? So it just makes me think, imagine the application wasn't successful. Would that same application be brought up and would they say, well, actually, you said you'd, you you said you'd go to America. You you said you'd go to Brazil. You quite like Brazil. Why don't you go there? You well, see? why don't you? But why do you ask that with no with no other option? It's not like you can leave it blank. And it's 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 crazy to me because the psychological. Oh, uh, hey,
0: you've <laughs> just gone through what yeah. so many people <laughs> like, go through. Not, you see I'm not even in, in that.
1: I'm not even in that situation, but yeah. it's. If, for me well, a lot of things go on in this country right yeah and people don't understand and this is the whole purpose of this episode yeah to put yourself to imagine what these people are going through to put yourself in these people's shoes yeah and it's not just you know and you talk about these you know uh, and someone who's going through this route so let's say you're on a 10 year private life route is that what you call it yeah yeah right yeah. so can you go to uni as a nationalised person on that, on that route
0: well you have to pay you have to so pay so you'd have to pay you're, you're,
1: for uni so you wouldn't be able to get student finance so a lot of higher paid roles are for graduates so then you're continuing that on cycle because if you start that route when you're let's say 18 is it 18 that you have to start it
0: No, you can start it when you're younger than that Yeah. but the thing yeah. is and you know even just thinking about it a bit mm-hmm. I mean, cause you, because you have the 10 year route mm-hmm. and you have the 20 year route there's a the 20 year route the, the 20 year route basically is If you've been in this country Without any lawful basis to remain mm-hmm. In this country So you basically have um, Or you've been undocumented After 20 years You can get sort of leave To remain in this country right But even then You know just imagine That person's situation You know it, it's, it's very precarious And what are you doing
1: for those 20 years? Boy, 20 that's... years you'll never get back um, progression you'll never get back. I mean, it forces
0: but- people to go underground. That's what it does. I mean because you know at that point you're thinking, okay, if I come into contact with them and I'm below the twenty year um sort of um limit or um below um and below the twenty year threshold, I'm gonna be in trouble, you know because if they catch me for that, they send me back. But the thing is this, like the question you just posed about um you know on the application form about um have you got any family you know um in in, in in your country of origin it's like a trim it's like a well i call it a trick question right mm-hmm. and the reason why i call it a trick question is this if you read any immigration decision from the home office if you told them you have a cousin of a cousin third removed um who is your granddad's um you know brother and it can be the most out there connection they will be like, okay, so Latif has a cousin of a cousin of a cousin of whatever, and so therefore he has family connections wherever, and so he can go back to Nigeria, or he can go back to Ghana, or he, or he can go back to Jamaica. Wow, that's all they want. And let's be honest about it. I've got enough family. who will never support me. Of you course. feel me? You feel
1: me? <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> like I'm thinking about my family back home, right? Yeah. I've got a few of them on Facebook. Yeah. I don't talk to any of them. Any of them? Any. And I've got quite a big family in Nigeria. But I do not talk to any of them. I have no connections. There is no support. There's no there's no sort of bond. Yeah. So you, oh my gosh.
0: Can you imagine? And all of a sudden, it's mm. on that basis that you have family connections in Nigeria. And so all of a sudden, you've got a support network there, bro. I
1: hope, I hope my family don't listen to this. Hey,
0: sorry. I'm <laughs> telling you. Sometimes I think of it and I say to myself, <laughs> like, you see people who go through this. They have to rely on so many people, man. So many it's people, and it's it's it's, <sighs>
1: it's 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 almost like you've done all this to stay in the country. You're grateful to be in the country, and then for those of us that are fortunate to, you know, be born here and have that, you know, and if we decide to criticize the system, it's like, well, why are you here? Why don't you leave? And I saw, I saw this thing. Um, I can't remember what her name was, but her name A4 was Afwa. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. It, that's yeah. it. Yeah, and that's you know, it. and and the, the, this the, the older white guy said, "Well, Nick why, Ferrari. why?" D-? Yeah, that's and he said, this says, well, why do you stay here?" And I thought, "Well, if someone who is white criticised, I mean, this is why we have government. This is mm-hmm. why we have the right to vote. Mm-hmm. This is why we have, you know, we have all these rights, and we have." Opinions And this is why, why do we vote If we're not allowed To have an opinion mm. But when the opinion Comes from somebody Who is not Or of Of White Heritage mm. the, the answer is Get out Why are you here You see But you, you want to say This country Doesn't have races Of course There's people Who aren't racist mm. I've got Plenty of friends Just as, as, as cliche As that sounds mm. Right I've got plenty of people Who are uh, 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 Who are I'm good, um, good friends with and good colleagues and, and whatnot. But you need to understand that there is institutional racism. There is... What's the, what's the word for it? Systemic.
0: In, in my view, mm. that clip, I think I saw that on Twitter actually, that yeah. clip of a Hirsch and Nick Ferrari mm. is like a two-minute clip that I would send to anyone who says there's not racism in this country. L- listen, I've... I've got a policy mentality, right? right? If anybody asks me how do black people suffer racism in this country, I don't even answer it. I just say go and read a book, yeah? Mm-hmm. Like like just like walk down any, you know, road in London for 20 or 30 minutes and look around, okay? Because it's a stupid question. And what you just said is the right thing. Would that question be ever posed to a white person? Of course it wouldn't. It wouldn't be posed to them, so why is it posed to a black person? You know, it, that's it, the inherent yeah, racism.
1: Yeah, and it's it's stuff like you know, hearing you need to educate people. I find that belittling them because these d- d- people aren't stupid. Yeah, this Those, is it. These are very intelligent, eloquent, smart people that I'm coming across, and I'm seeing this stuff on Facebook, and mm. you know, and I, I, I'm seeing a lot of stuff on Facebook actually, yeah, and yeah. I'm seeing this, and I'm like. I don't need to, you know. I, I, some people believe that you should try and educate people, but these people aren't stupid, you know. You, if if you want to be ignorant to something, right? If I come to an argument with you, Steve, right? Yeah? yeah. And I say, I don't want to disagree with you. I just want to shout my point across. Yeah. That's what I'll do. That's what we'll do. Back yeah. and forth. Yeah. You can give me the most valid points. Yeah. But if I choose to disagree or if I choose to be ignorant to it, because ignorance is not just, just, it's just not a lack of learning, it's a choice. Mm. You can choose to be ignorant. It's, we we, we, we live in, in, in strange times. Very strange and, times. And um, I mean, I think the, the the use of the, you know, fur, be, people being furloughed, not being in work right now, um, mm. is brought people to the streets. right? And this is why these things. But I just wonder what is going to happen after this. What is what is the end game? Because now we've got people protesting, people are out of work, people are, you know, people are gathering together. Yeah. And we're getting, for the first time, we're getting a lot of solidarity from brands. Yeah. From big brands, from big names. It's something that can't be ignored. But yeah. where, do, where do we go from here?
0: Well, you see, it's 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 a question that I think has to be at the forefront of all of our minds. Because one of the issues I have with the solidarity being shown by certain brands is this. How many black or brown people do these brands employ? How many black people are at the top of these brands? Okay. So is it tokenism? Are they doing it because it's cool? Are they doing it because everybody else is doing it? Okay. That's the difficulty I have. I want them to start acting, you know, not just talking, you know, and like doing things to make us think, okay, they're making moves. I read yesterday, um, I think it was yesterday, yeah, yesterday, that Storms has donated ten million pounds towards fighting yeah, over, racial over injustice. Years. Yes, yeah. over ten years. Yeah. He's putting his money where his mouth is. is yeah. Okay, yeah. I want to yeah. see these brands acting accordingly. Okay, don't just put out a tweet. And, you know, all of a sudden, oh, okay, wow, they must be supporting the movement. Do more. You can do more. Why not? You're right why not it's 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 a question that they need to sort of face up to and actually what i'm worried about um and i'm always worried about things okay Mm um i'm someone that i I think i'm quite pessimistic but what i'm worried about is these brands think they're sort of getting it easy all all you have to do just put out a tweet you know what i mean and just show that we're you know supportive and then when this whole thing dies down yeah we're cool no i'm sorry you guys are going to be held to account and and that's why held i to believe. what account whoa yeah held to what yeah. account and yeah.
1: and this is probably another podcast another for another day and we'll probably wrap this up soon but mm. what account what can we do is there you know you look at um china when yeah. i think it was the the offensive gucci ad i can't remember which brand it was and people started burning their, their gucci stuff Mm. started saying that they're not gonna buy this Mm. or was it one of the um, Huawei um, executives got something something to do with iPhone Mm. and people stopped buying iPhones Mm. and started buying and there were incentives to buy Huawei um, stuff rather than buying iPhones Apple Apple products yeah and it's 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 that sense of unity Mm. because you can't how do you hold people accountable Mm. you can shout all you want Mm. but unless you have something of value then what can you really do
0: well i i think first and foremost so for instance a very small step that i think i'm taking is i'm not going to be buying from these shops who weren't so or from places that aren't supporting the movement actively um i i feel as if i need to start um, you know directing my money towards Um, Businesses and organisations That understand the importance of me Being safe in this country I (laughs) mean that's the first thing right Um, I think the next thing is this The question you've asked I could sit down with you Latif On another podcast and say This big question you've posed Even goes beyond this country Right It goes beyond the western world Mm -hmm. If, If I had another hour I'll be telling you how what actually we need to be doing is investing in our continent, Africa, because the reason why I say that is, as soon as we build up our continent and we build up the life and um, opportunities, it, it, it's it's it is trust me and and to be quite frank, we've got everything we need there. All we need to do,
1: we're, we're losing ownership of that. Though, yeah,
0: aren't we? well, well, there's a big issue
1: with we're, we're, we're losing whether, whether it's Jamaica. Yeah. in The Caribbean, whether it's Nigeria, yeah. whether it's Ghana, yeah, it's there's there's a bigger battle at hand, yeah. Than, but you yeah. see,
0: this is why I say it's a big question because if you can build what I call a sort of pan African, sort of unified approach to these things, right? Someone told me something funny, he said, um, so he, he, I think his parents, um, moved to this country from China, I forgot when. It might have been in the 80s or early 90s And he said when his parents came to this country from China All the loans they were getting was never from banks in this country They were getting it from banks in China It was like like the Chinese government You know, Mm -hmm. Chinese institutions were investing in the diaspora Mm -hmm. What we need to do is build strength amongst black people around the world Mm -hmm. Okay. I shouldn't have to approach, you know, what is a racist institution to give me money. Mm -hmm. Okay. I should be able to do that with my own people.
1: Yeah, I agree. But that's 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 more than the conversation though, isn't it? It's 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 a a wish. Is it well it's it's (laughs) it's, it's
0: (laughs) We're gonna get there, (laughs) brother. We're gonna get there. (laughs) One day. One One day. day, definitely. I, th- I, th-
1: I think that was it. That was a productive. I think that's that's educating. I think even me myself. I know we've had this conversation beforehand, but I, I feel more educated and understanding the struggle. I mean, even as as a as a black man, mm. I feel privileged to a degree, mm. and it just. But that could have been me. That could have been anyone. And I think that sort of. Putting your sh- putting, and that's not just because I'm 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 a black person, but it's mm. it's because you know, just imagine being in that kind of situation, being desperate, mm. being desperate for money. I've been there. I've been, you know, you when you're broke and someone's telling you, well, you have to get this money to stay in the country. Yeah. Or you get to get, that's to somewhere that you don't know. Yeah. And you've got a cousin of a cousin of a friend, of yeah. this, and that's fine. You see it? It's not right. No. And I think people need to start looking at this, whether regardless of your color. And see. and and see if this is wrong, and and demand for change. Latif, I'll just
0: end on this very note because I should have maybe raised this earlier. Mm-hmm. Anybody such as us who was born in this country and feels as if the hostile environment isn't their problem, I would encourage them to read a recent court of appeal case. It's called the Right to Rent case. There's you know Guardian um, journalist documents, and I, I think there's Guardian reports, and you know newspapers have sort of commented on it. Mm-hmm. Basically this shows you how the hostile environment isn't just something that affects migrants it affects people of color uh, black people brown people in this country who ultimately the system turns everybody into sort of border guards okay but but all now border agents if mm-hmm. you're a landlord you need to make sure that your tenants have the right documents otherwise you could face a penalty and guess what that means landlords are now scared to have tenants who have sort of you know foreign sounding names because i don't know if they're gonna you know at some point um lose their leave to remain wow. and then all of a sudden i might be in trouble so what's the point of me you know bringing in steven terrier that sounds like a foreign name oh you know what i'd rather just bring in jack smith no problems there right Can
1: you see the institutional racism? Workplaces as well.
0: Workplaces as well. Can you see the institutional racism? Because people don't want to have to pay fines or go to prison, Mm. they're cutting racist corners. That's how it affects all of us. So anyone listening to this who thinks somehow this don't apply to me, trust me, it applies to all of us, okay? We all need to be taking a stand on this. And, you know, there's been recent examples of how collective efforts to fight the hostile environment can be if you want um, successful I'm not saying it will always be successful but they can be successful so anyone listening to this hand it to the wall. let's all fight it together man yeah but how was that for a first session back
1: oh, it feels good it was <laughs> good it feels good and bad at the same time <laughs> I can see you know, there you're
0: just yeah, backing
1: yeah. your motion, just yeah. taking it, yeah, it by stride by stride but yeah <laughs> everyone um, please feel free to subscribe to the SoundCloud we're now available on Spotify and Apple Apple Apple. that don't sound right is it Apple is it iPhone <laughs> no, I don't know yeah, <laughs> you, you, you guys know what I'm talking about <laughs> but Taboo Talk search Taboo Talk um, consistency I'll be consistent this time I promise So, um, you've made a promise, guys. Yeah, I've made a promise. So, I'm going to be consistent this time. If you thought that was provoking, please share, please let people know to listen to it. And I'll catch you guys next time.